Hey, everybody. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with Major and Hatmaker. This week, we are diving into the world of entrepreneurship and how flipping the script of your life also inevitably comes with facing fear and ultimately overcoming self-doubt. And we're talking with the co-founder of It Cosmetics, Jamie Hearn Lima. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you, delighted that you are listening in today. And you are going to be too, because right now we are in a series called For the Love of Flipping the Script. Okay, we spent a lot of time coming up with that title. (laughs) We went round and around on title options on flipping the script, but ultimately what we were, we landed on this one because I was interested in talking to people who had been handed a certain set of expectations or a limited array of possibility. Here's the wall, here's the ceiling, this is what you get. Maybe a limited way to think or believe. They made some sort of conscious decision to flip that script, to rewrite it, to change it up, to expand it, to reimagine it maybe. And that work always inspires me. Evolution inspires me. Change inspires me. Risk inspires me. I'm obviously, this is in my personality wheelhouse, but I'm I'm drawn to this. I'm drawn to these people who imagine something more, something better, something more just, more equitable, more beautiful than what they were told was possible. These are the ones out there that are dreaming new dreams and creating new spaces and hosting new conversations and pushing forward important change, both social and cultural and emotional changes that are huge, that matter, that matter to our world. And so I know that flipping the script can look like a lot of different things individually as we think about ourselves, as you're thinking about yourself today, as you're listening in. I mean, it could be as simple as the way in which you are taking care of yourself now, maybe having neglected yourself or harmed yourself or ignored yourself all these years. Maybe you are flipping the script on the way that you treat other people. Maybe you've decided I am not stuck in these dysfunctional relational patterns just because I've repeated them for a lot of years you're flipping the script on that. And I say, bravo, if that's you, maybe it's just your outlook on life in general. Maybe it's your belief system. Maybe it's your uh, convictions. Or if you're like our guest today, maybe it's a career flip. I knew in this series, I wanted to talk to somebody who engineered a career flip simply because, well, for a million reasons, I'm inspired by stories like that. But also I listen to you a lot. I listen to the women in our community and I've watched so many of you flip the script on your careers and start later, go back to college in your thirties or forties, finish a degree, change it up at 50. I know that this is something that's dear to our community this idea that we're never really stuck in a career space just because we started there or just because we, even if we once loved it, that a lot of us have new visions and new ideas and new places we'd like our professional energy to go. And so, and it could be because you're no longer happy where you're at. It could just be that you've grown, you know? It could just be, it's not necessarily that you're leaving something but maybe it's something you're running to, right? Or maybe it is that you are in a place that is dysfunctional or in a work environment that's hurting your soul or hurting your marriage, just hurting who you are. Whatever the reason is, I think this is something on the plate for a lot of women. And so I'm excited to really pick up this conversation today that's in this case, centered around like entrepreneurship, dreaming something up from scratch it's a challenging road to walk. I mean, it's a pretty big rock to pick up and carry. I'm a very unique way to move through the world because having and holding a dream close to your chest for years can be both an absolute source of inspiration, but it can also be a stressor, right? 
And maybe that's a good thing. That push and pull is sometimes what kicks us out of the nest. But I can speak for myself, certainly, because I flipped the script on my career. You know, I started out as a teacher. I was an elementary school teacher. And out of the clear blue yawn, decided to become a writer with no credentials, no backers, no platform, no clue. So I think maybe this is why this is precious to me because I know what that exact spot feels like where the fear of failure lives, the fear of being rejected, right? By retailers or investors or customers or whatever, whatever the thing is. So I have questions for that space right there. And I have a lot of like love and nurture for that space because how do we learn to overcome that? Right. How, how do we get through that? How do we come to accept the discomfort right there that is standing between us and what is in front of us? You know, this is why we're so lucky today to be speaking with the one and only Jamie Kern Lima. So if you don't know, she is the expert on fighting the good fight and pushing through years of no and rejection and obstacles and roadblocks in pursuit of what she just knew in her gut was her thing to do. She just knew it. Jamie is an absolute self-made entrepreneur. She's a co-founder of the beauty brand, It Cosmetics. Jamie started this brand in her living room, which she's going to talk about her living room. And she spent years working and reworking after hearing hundreds of rejections by real retailers and investors. And she actually worked tirelessly down to her last penny, essentially, to keep the dream alive. And because of that, and you're going to hear this whole story. Jamie, by the way, is a great storyteller. Like this is like listening to a really, really fun, exciting documentary. You're going to hang on every word today because she, she hung on, man. She hung on, she persevered, she pushed through. And Jamie eventually sold that brand for 1.2 billion, billion with a B as in boy, dollars. She became the largest beauty brand ever sold on QVC. And she earned a place on the Forbes richest self-made women list, having been down to her last penny, her last shot. And she's pretty candid about that struggle. And she's also very open about how prayers and faith and God were kind of her core, kind of her central, keeping her steady and focused and anchored and resilient as she kept moving forward despite it all. So now It Cosmetics is a household name. Just she's, she built something incredible. Jamie is super passionate about mentoring entrepreneurs, about investing in other companies, and then ultimately making a difference in the lives of women and girls, which so obviously you can see why I'm drawn to her completely. She's also a very renowned public speaker and shares her story with a lot of candor about overcoming fear and rejection and self-doubt. You are going to be inspired today, I think. I found myself listening to Jamie and just feeling so much identification. I mean, we obviously have completely different spaces. You know, I didn't build a beauty brand, but she's a woman who had a dream in a field that she wasn't qualified or experienced in. And that makes sense to me. That's how I started. You're going to love her. This is one of those things when you wildly cheer for somebody else's success because they're so great. Because there's, she's fantastic and generous of spirit and wonderful and kind. And so, gosh, you guys, enjoy this incredible conversation with the absolute wonderful go-getter, Jamie Kern Lima. I am absolutely delighted to welcome you to the show, Jamie. I just told you before we started recording that I have wanted to meet you and it's been so incredible to watch your star just rise and watch you build your space. And I'm just so happy to finally get to talk to you face to face. 
I am so happy to and grateful and I love you and your work. And so this is a huge honor and thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. Oh, times a million. So listen, I've already filled my listeners in with a little bit about you kind of from a high level perspective, but I wonder before we sort of dig in here, if would you mind just sort of talking through broadly who you are, what you do, who your people are, where you are. Yeah. You know, most people probably know me as that the founder of Big Cosmetics or, you know, that when you Google my story, you'll see like Denny's waitress builds billion dollar company. But, but my real, my real story, Jen, is, is a girl who w- like went from kind of having that feeling inside. Like I, like God put a calling on my heart, like there was things that I was supposed to create or ideate, but I doubted myself most of my life. So like my real story is a girl who went from doubting she's enough to, to kind of like learning how to, how to know she's enough. And most of my life, I didn't know how to hear my own intuition or my thought. Yeah. And so learning how to hear it and trust it has kind of been my real story. And I have two babies, two babies. And my daughter Wonder is three years old and my son Wilder is one. And I am most passionate about, um, just learning to get still trying to hear how God tells me to show up and serve and then try to live out the answer for a big portion of my journey so far that came in the form of trying to change the beauty industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, no big deal. No big deal. Right. And, and most recently through writing, believe it, it's really just been about trying to hoping to use everything I've gone through and the mistakes I've made, the things I did wrong and right. to just try and help everyone else on their own journey or serve however I can. And you know, everyone else's journey that might be similar to mine, which is dealing with, with self-doubt and, and how do you break through it and how do you, you know, become the person you're born to be. And that's kind of my, my greatest passion right now. So, so I have a million questions you alluded to it right now, but for people who haven't heard your story yet, or they haven't done the Jamie Google search, can you talk about what your life looked like before you decided I'm going to start a cosmetics line. I'm going to build a whole brand. I'm going to build my own company. What was it? Was there something, was there a catalyst or sort of a lightning in a bottle moment when you decided I am absolutely going to make a hard right here and do something completely different? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And there was, <laughs> it was a scary moment where I thought, oh, I'm not qualified and I have no money and no connections and I don't know how it's going to happen, but I keep having this feeling and I can't shake it. So growing up, my parents worked a ton, a lot. They worked really hard and I was always alone a lot. And so I would, I would watch Oprah in my living room growing up. And <laughs> I always just, I, I fell in love with this idea of, of how she was able to share other people's stories. And I just thought from the time I was a little girl, like, oh, I'm going to grow up and share other people's stories with the world. And so I always thought that's what I would do. And that, that would be my dream job. And, and fast forward to my late twenties and early thirties. And I was working in what I thought was my dream job. So I was working in, in television news and, you know, interviewing other people and anchoring the news and all that. And I went through this season that I thought was set back in my life. So I developed a skin condition called rosacea, which for some people super mild for, for me, it would, I get huge kind of red bumps and welts all over my cheeks and forehead and nose and gets to be like a sandpaper like texture. And when that started developing, I would be anchoring the news and I would hear in my earpiece live from the producer, there's something on your face. There's something on your face. You need to wipe it off. And, and they were just trying to have my back. Like it was a real positive thing, but they're like, something. and, and I would be live on television and and I knew, um, Jen, that there was nothing I could wipe off. Right. I knew what was happening was the makeup was breaking up and the the hot HD lights and the redness was coming through. And so it started this season of kind of what felt like setback where I was, I would be live on TV and I'd be having thoughts like, are you going to get fired or are viewers changing the channel right now? Are ratings going down? And it started this, this kind of quest where, you know, trying every makeup product I could find out there in hopes of not getting fired. And so the 
the products in the drugstores and the department stores and the pro makeup artist lines. And a couple of things happened. One is that I couldn't find anything that would work. And so that was kind of frustrating because it would either be really thick and look like a big mask or it just wouldn't cover. And so, so that was frustrating and I didn't know what I was going to do about it. I went to all the dermatologists and learned there's no cure for it. And I tried all the prescription stuff and nothing was working. And so in the midst of all that, I think it's Joel Osteen that coined the phrase that our setbacks in life are so often our setups for what we're supposed to do next or for greater callings on our life. And, and so this was really an example in my real life of, of a setback that was really a setup. And I just didn't know it at the time, right? A lot of times we're in the seasons of setback and they just suck and hurt and we freak out and all those things. And in the midst of trying to find a product that worked, I also kind of had this epiphany where I was like, wait a minute, I've never actually seen, because there's so many makeup companies and I've never seen one showing a model with rosacea and showing it, you know, and I'm like, why is that? And, and so a bunch of things happened at once. I started getting this kind of inkling, this gut feeling well, you know, that would tell me like, if you could create something that works for you, it'll probably help a whole lot of other people. So I kept having that feeling, that instinct in, in my gut or in my heart, but like what happens to so many of us, like the, the self-doubt in my head would say things like I was sharing earlier, like you're not qualified. You you're not a scientist. Yeah. yeah. You were a Denny's waitress and now you're a news anchor. What do you know about beauty? You know, no one in the, exactly. You're not a scientist, all those things. Right. So I sat in that place for a long time of having that feeling in my gut, but then my head talking me out of what I think was meant to be my truth and my path. Right. And I, and I stayed there for a while and I just, I just couldn't shake that feeling. And the other thing that happened, which ended up becoming the real fire behind everything for me was I had this, this big epiphany and like, we always hear about people talking about their why and all of that. And, and I had this realization that yes, I'd never seen any models with rosacea, but then I kind of realized my, my whole life, you know, growing up, I always saw the, the beauty ads on TV and in magazines, and I always loved them. And I always aspired to look like them, but they also kind of always made me feel like I wasn't enough. And so it was wild that in this, in the midst of this idea of what if I could somehow create a product that works for people with skin challenges like me in the midst of that, I also had this big moment where I'm like, wait a minute, what if I do that? And what if I use real people as models, right? Like every age and shape and size and skin tone and skin challenge and call them beautiful and mean it. And, and what if I could somehow like shift the definition of beauty in the beauty industry for every little girl out there who's going to see these ads and, and, and start doubting herself and every grown woman and person who still does. And it was kind of this like big thing for someone sitting there <laughs> feeling unqualified with like no idea how it's going to happen. So that happened. And I sat in that place for a long time though. And I think for so many of us, like this is like our fears keep us in that place where we just right, stay stuck and don't go after the thing. And how we handle these moments are the moments that, that change our life and define our life. And I did a lot of the things wrong in my journey, but, but one of the things, you know, that, that I did right was, was whenever I could clearly hear a gut feeling or my intuition, I made the decision to start trusting it. And my honeymoon flight to South Africa wrote the business plan of my husband and which is the least romantic way to start. <laughs> right. and, so uh, spicy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make a spreadsheet. Totally. Oh. Right. We got back, quit our jobs, dove all in, had very little savings, poured it all into to product development and trying to figure out that piece of it. And then what I didn't know at the time, Jen, would it, it would be three years. At that point on, from the time we launched the company, it would be over three years before we could afford to pay ourselves. And also, all these stores I love to shop in, Sephora, Ulta, department stores, QVC, I I put them all on a pedestal. I thought, oh my gosh, if I create something that is life-changing for me, they're going to love it. And what I didn't realize is they would all say no hundreds of times for three years. So it was was three years of, of hundreds of no's, of not being able to afford to hire anybody, of by the day, 
trying to build this thing out of my living room and seeing no proof that my gut feeling was right for a long time. And most people don't know that. They just see it cosmetics today, you know, and it's now it's wild, but it's the largest luxury makeup company in the US, which is just it's wild to even say those words. But for the first three years, it was it wasn't just like one no or five no's or it was hundreds of no's. You said two things that I really like. The first one that is the learning to trust your intuition, learning to trust your gut. That means a lot to me. I grew up in a environment sort of, to be honest, in a spiritual construct where my personal intuition, my sense of, of direction, my gut, like you described it was always it described to me as being incredibly suspicious that if it was something I thought or suspected or was leaning toward or even wanted that kind of baked into that was a selfishness or just, uh, I should disregard it because I couldn't trust myself. I had just sort of been taught that everything that I had in and of me was unworthy and unreliable. And so it took me a really long time really, really long time. I'm 46. And I feel like this is just something I have just reversed in my forties. It took me that long to sort of uproot that bad plant. And so my first question, I'm going to put my, I'm going to write a note for myself. So I don't forget the second one because I had two things I want to talk to you about. I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about how you came, I realize this is sort of a vague nebulous question. I'm not quite sure how you're going to answer, but how is it that you came to trust your own intuition when all your externals at the time are negative? What was it inside of you or outside of you? I don't really know that gave you that clear sense of this North star of knowing that you know what you know and staying in the course until you got there. Yeah. You know, I'm 44 and similar to you for, for me, first of all, I believe we all have an intuition and I believe it's more powerful than anyone else's advice. You know, for me, when I, when I share sort of my whole journey in believe it in my book, I, I not, I don't just talk about overcoming self-doubt or, and body doubt. I also talk about overcoming God doubt. And, and the reason I bring that up is, is for me, I went through a a, a long journey with faith and that included a few decades of God doubt and, and some big lessons on where my faith is now, which I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt God exists and, but went through a big journey my whole life on that. But what I wanted to share about intuition is for me, like when I pray, I feel like that is how I hear God is through my intuition. And so I think that it is the most deeply spiritual practice is being able to, to hear ourselves and make the decision to trust ourselves. And in my journey, though, it's been a journey, right? It's this, I think, lifelong, I believe it's a lifelong journey, uh, almost like our intuitions, like a muscle we build over time and, and get stronger with use and stronger when we look back on times, you know, if someone were to say, how, how do I start to hear myself? I don't know if I ever have, or I haven't in a long time. I think one, just wanting to, right? And then two, really looking back at times when you kind of had a a gut feeling, but maybe you didn't listen to it. And then what happened? And similarly, times where maybe everyone else gave you certain advice and you're like, oh, I just, and then you trusted yourself. And what happened then? And the more we start, you know, paying attention to all those times in our life, like, like we all know when we dated like a guy that, you know, his phone broke or he disappeared for three days and he's like, oh, but we all know, right? We know we can choose to go, oh, maybe his phone did break. Totally. Right. But we know. And, and I think it starts with really just like reflecting on all these moments in our life or when we're in a group of with girlfriends at coffee and something felt like it wasn't true or off or you know, and we look back at those times. And I think the more we can do that, the stronger we we build it going forward. And in, in my journey, it was 
And, and I think, I think also as women, and I, I know you share a lot about this in some of your work, which I love, and it's so inspiring, but we, we are taught to not trust ourselves or to make decisions based on consensus and all kinds of things. Right. And, you know, I think, I think had I not figured this part out of, of being able to hear my, my gut and trust it, it cosmetics would have been done in the first Great. year. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and, and in the journey, you know, a couple, two examples that's that or two stories I should say that stand out just to share in case they're helpful for anyone who needs to hear this too now in their own life, who may, especially is going through a season of what feels like setback or a rejection, but you know, we were, you know, building the business and it was like, no, after no, after no. And every time I would send my products to Sephora or Ulta, it was a no. Or I remember we got the head, the head guy of QVC beauty. So his name's Alan Burke. So he's like, he's this legend in the, the beauty industry. And he's the person that for many years, QVC was kind of known as selling like maybe products people hadn't quite heard of. And some of them they had, but he kind of turned it into this place where all the top luxury brands from department stores wanted to sell their beauty products on QVC. And he's this legend. And I remember this moment, I finally got him on the phone. Like his assistant said, he's willing to do a call with me. And this is after a couple of years of sending my products in and oh hearing no, no, no. I was like, he's going to do a call. I'm like, there's no way it's going to be a no because he would not waste his precious time. And I was like freaking out that this is going to be my big break. And I remember I was pacing our office, which is our living room uh, on the phone, sure. <laughs> on the phone, you know, and, and when he called and I'm like, he's like, this is Alan Burke at QVC. I'm like, Alan, Jamie Kern Lima. So great. to You know, I was trying to like tell myself, they'd be lucky to have us like all these things. Meanwhile, we were down to no money. We were down to, I didn't know how we were going to stay alive as a company. And, you know, we were only doing like one to two orders a day on our website. Oh, um, man. And which, you know, we were able to turn the lights on, but barely. And I didn't know w- what was going to happen. And I remember he said to me on the phone, he's like, thank you for sending your products. All of them. I sent them so many times for a couple of years. And he said, we've reviewed them. All of them. We've reviewed um your products with, with the whole buying team. He said, it's unanimous. You're not the right fit for, for QVC or for our customers. And I was just like, it's unanimous. It's unanimous. And, you know, he wanted me to know, like I, you know, every buyer has weighed in and, and I was like devastated. Right. And I'm like, Oh, but Alan, we are the right fit. And I went into like trying to pitch myself again and just like all the reasons. And, and he said, you know, he thanked me. He was super kind. He thanked me for loving QVC, but said it's a no. And at that point, I remember it felt like one of the biggest blows because I, I had, when we talk about intuition, I had this feeling I couldn't shake in my gut that said, okay, you're supposed to be on QVC because you can't Photoshop live TV. You can put all these real women, different ages, shapes, sizes, prove your product works live call them beautiful, mean it. Like I saw the whole thing in my head. Right. But what happened was for two years straight, they told me no every time. And a lot of times in life, we have these, these visions or these feelings that, that something is meant for us. And then we get no one time or five times or 20 times. And that's when we think our gut is wrong. Right. And I'll never forget that night. I I went to bed, cried myself to sleep. And then I woke up the next morning, hoping it was a dream. (laughs) And then when you realize it's not right. And that happened for three days in a row. But when it comes to to intuition, the thing was, I I was praying, crying. I was like, God, I don't understand why I keep feeling this supposed to happen. And then it doesn't. And every time I would get still and try to, and try to literally hear that that voice inside that some people call it still small voice and people call it intuition or gut feeling. Every time I did that, I kept feeling like I was supposed to keep going. I'm going to trust this feeling, even though it doesn't make sense. And by the way, I should clarify this. I think we're in a society that always is like, don't give up whatever you, as if that's the victory. I don't think that's the victory. I think there's a lot of people in jobs they don't love or, or in friendships relationships that are not good for them, or they just keep not, the victory is not quitting. I don't think that's true. I think the victory is learning how to hear ourselves and trust ourselves, right? Like, like when I was in the, uh, working as a news anchor, thinking that was my dream job, I think knowing when to let go of a dream is as important as knowing when to go I after one, you yeah, know, that's good. For me, quitting then is the victory. But I remember that feeling 
after Alan Burke had said those words to me and I felt like I just talked to this legend and all of a sudden, even he's telling me I'm not the right fit and he's telling me it's not going to be a yes and all those things. One other quick story just on intuition and then one fun, one fun ending to that, you know, we were, we were struggling to know how are we going to stay alive, right? So this is the point where even QVC now, the head guy says, no, everyone's saying no. We're a couple years in, we're down to under a thousand dollars in our combined company and personal bank account, which just meant like, okay, we have a couple, a couple weeks left at any moment being able to pay bills and everything else. And we got an inbound call from a potential investor, a big private equity company. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be huge. And they loved our product. And I just, my mind went to this place of like, oh, if they invest, then I'm not going to go bankrupt. And they could probably use their, their power and their leverage to get us in these places that keep telling me no. And so we started taking meetings with this potential investor who's super well-known. They, they've taken a bunch of pre-revenue companies and like a bunch of products we buy in grocery stores every day. They've turned them into household names. And I thought, we do that with it cosmetics. So excited. And we did meeting after meeting and I started the diligence phase where you show your whole product pipeline and it got to the final meeting. My husband and I flew up for it and I thought like, this is going to be life-changing. And we were in person and I was about three feet from the head guy and they congratulated us and thanked us for the product pipeline, all the kind of stuff. And he said to me, we want to let you know that, you know, we've decided it's a no, we're going to pass on investing in it cosmetics. And by this point, I had heard no a million times and I was just like, okay, can you tell me why? Because, you know, feedback is usually a gift. And I'm like, can you tell me why? And he paused for a long time and he goes, do you want me to be really honest with you? And I'm like, yes, please. And he says, I just don't think women will buy makeup from someone who looks like you with your body and your weight. And in this moment, so a couple of things, when he said those words to me, I, and this is in person, three feet from him, my husband's right next to me, his whole team is there. When he said those words, I just don't think women will buy makeup from someone who looks like you with your body and your weight. First of all, lifetime bodied out, like flooded my body. Um, and it felt like I was like staring my own fear straight in the eye in a way, but I'll never forget this moment, Jen. He said that to me. I didn't even feel anger. I mean, I cried in my car later, but I didn't feel anger toward him. I got this feeling in my gut that said he's wrong. Like I felt it was this, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was this feeling that said he's wrong. Now I didn't know how to prove it. I had no sales. I had no, like anything. But over the next several years, I decided instead of taking what he said personally, even though it hurt, what I realized because I had done that work of knowing what, why I was doing what I was doing and my big, deep why for the company, I was able to realize, oh my gosh, he's just as much impacted by the beauty industry as I am. He's some dude deciding like, you can't make money for me because of how you look. That's basically what he's deciding, but he's really just a byproduct of an industry. For me, it became this fuel of like, oh, wow, like this has got to change. And so that's one thing. The second thing is over the next several years, his words would come back in my head, right? How many times someone says something to us and we made the mistake of letting it take root, even though we didn't think we did. And, and so, you know, I started really practicing this whole tool about, you know, learning how, like I would literally imagine myself turning down the volume on his words. And then with intuition, with that feeling in that moment, I would do everything in my power to remember that feeling I had when he said it, which was, he's wrong, like that feeling. And I would try to amplify that and trust that and, and turn down the volume on his words. And I would do that a lot with, with rejection and everything else. Just talking to you live, one of the things I, I just want to share is just all of us, every one of us, like our relationship with rejection is, I think, one of the most defining things in our life about if we're ever going to become the person we're born to be and like how we handle rejection. And, you know, the one thing that just hundreds and hundreds of rejections, I started seeing them as like, okay, I'm going to be one of the people that's going to trust my gut and go after what I, I'm going to be a brave one that's going to like try to go after my dream or step into all of who I am. And I think with anyone that's ever done that in history or otherwise, it's, it comes with so many rejections. And so I kind of 
started to learn to see rejection almost as a victory in a way. It's like a victory of being a brave one who's going after who she's born to be in life. And, you know, it still hurt and all those other things. But the last thing on the rejection is God's protection. I, I try to see it that way every day in life too. And, you know, six years later, when L'Oreal bought this little company, I started in my living room the day before the sale happened, they decided because they're a public company, they decided to release the purchase price. So I didn't know that was happening. And I kind of panicked because what happened is the very next day, it's on the homepage of the Wall Street Journal. It's everywhere, online, everywhere. You know, it cosmetic sells for $1.2 billion cash. And I heard from that investor. I heard from that investor that day. Did. First time in six years. He said, congratulations on the L'Oreal deal. I'm so happy for you. I was wrong. And I learned it would have been the most successful investment in this firm's history had he invested. At the time I was that I met with him, I was so desperate. Like I didn't know. I, I probably would have given him the majority of the company for totally. No right? Yeah. But because he didn't believe in me and a lot of other people did on the journey, but because he didn't, by the time we sold the L'Oreal, we were still the largest shareholders. I was like, thank goodness he rejected me. And then Alan Burke with QVC, after we launched on QVC, he became one of my greatest mentors in my life. Well, after he retired from QVC, he was such an important mentor in my life. We actually hired him for our advisory board at Cosmetic in a paid position. So the guy who rejected me so was now great. working for me, right? Uh, so, so great. I just want to share that. Like, like uh, no one can tell you, <laughs> you know, how big your dreams can be or that you're not the uh, right fit or that so good. you need to change who you are to ever mm. achieve the dreams on your heart. Oh my gosh. Those two full circle moments are incredible. Like just absolutely incredible. Our physical bodies are our homes here. And I don't know about you, but I want to take good care of my home. So in order to do this, I had to make an internal shift. I had to start speaking to myself with words I would use for a beloved friend. That's when I started incorporating Noom into my life. Noom makes an easier pathway to care for ourselves and build better lifestyle habits, which includes food choices and motivation for daily movement that celebrates what our bodies can do rather than punishing them. When I'm intentionally integrating Noom, I find that I have more energy, I feel healthier, and I show up better for my family and friends because wellness is so important for every facet of our lives. And that's another great thing about Noom too. They are so supportive in this whole process. They use a psychology-based approach to help shift our mindset. Noom customizes a program for you based on your personal goals. So what fits into your life on your terms. Now I know what you're thinking, but no, I promise there are no grueling early mornings or weird diets or huge chunks out of your day that you have to dedicate because let's be real, none of that is sustainable. It never has been. I think that's one of the many reasons why Noom sees such impressive success with 80% of Noom users finishing the program and over 60% sticking with their goals for at least a year. So start building better habits for healthier, long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash for the love. That's N-O-O-M.com slash for the love. I'm so interested right now in elevating and celebrating good things. So community, I'd like to introduce you to Able. If you're not familiar with Able, they are an ethical fashion brand that employs and empowers women as a solution to end poverty. <laughs> Love. They're deeply devoted also to quality, both in the products they make and in the quality of life they aim to provide. So they invest in, train, and educate women so they can earn a living, break the cycle of poverty, and thrive. And would you believe it all started with scarves for them? In Ethiopia, they met women coming out of the commercial sex industry who asked for help finding jobs. So they trained them to make scarves. And after selling over 4,000 of them in two months, 
They knew they were onto something. And now Abel has grown from hand-woven scarves to a whole lifestyle brand with leather bags and clothes, shoes, jewelry, and more. I have so much of their stuff that I wear on constant rotation. I cannot say enough good things about Abel. Truly, come check them out for the cause and their incredible business practices and stay for the fashion. You can get 20% off site-wide with my code 20GIN at livefashionable.com. So that's 20GIN at livefashionable.com. I would love to hear just a little bit of the story between nobody believes me, everybody hates my brand, and $1.9 billion to L'Oreal. <laughs> like something in there happened, something went right. Can you kind of talk about how and when you finally caught traction and what that little season was like? So we, you know, no after no after no after no after no. And I had entered us in this big beauty big beauty competition. It's like this, uh, it's called CEW Beauty Awards and it's in New York City. And so, so imagine this huge, like a uh, exhibition center. And there were 6,000 women walking the, the floor that are part of this organization. And all the beauty companies from around the world are all there. And it's once a year and you get a three foot booth, right? And all the big products that launch all year long, all these companies enter their product in an award. The hope of being there is that all the 6,000 women walk in the floors, vote your product to win one of the awards. In my case, that would have meant like, oh, maybe some of the stores will take me in or maybe I'll get press. And so we're down to like literally almost no money left. And I had entered this competition a while back, you know, entered this annual thing. So I'm there, I, I'm at my three foot table. You're not allowed to leave your three foot table and you're supposed to just demonstrate your product over and over and over for all of the, the people walking by. So I'm there and all of a sudden I see QVC has this giant, giant booth there in person. I had never met anyone in person, right? And they've been telling me no for three years. Alan Burke says you're not the right fit, all that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if I can just like sneak away and meet someone, maybe that will help, right? And I'm sitting there like kind of disassociating myself from what's actually happening. So all these women are walking by and I'm like talking and talking about the product and I'm not paying attention. I'm really just focused on how can I get to that QVC booth without getting kicked out. So I'm like praying for the right words. I'm praying for the right timing. I keep trying to sneak away and then the buyers are mobbed over there. So then I go back to my booth and Eventually, I I get over there. I talk to a buyer at QVC. She knew who I was based on the not me, but the company name because she'd gotten a million samples over the years. And I was like, you know, I think your customers would love her. And I just pour my heart out to her. She gave me her card and said, let's set up a meeting sometime. And I thanked her. I went back to my booth. Now, in that moment, I thought, does she really mean it? <laughs> Is this just a courtesy? Like, here's my card. So I'm I'm back there now at my booth, continuing demonstrating the product over and over. It was our concealer, bye bye under eye, and I'm demonstrating it over and over and over. Still not paying attention, really not present, because I'm now real, you know, replaying everything I wish I would have just said and all that. All of a sudden, a woman comes up to me. And she introduces herself and she says, hello, my name is Miss Lisa Mason. I'm a QVC show host. She'd been a show host for 17 years. I didn't realize that earlier in the night, she had come up to me and I was demonstrating the product with her. I didn't recognize her and because I, I was not paying attention. And I was like, oh, and she goes, I just want to tell you, I think our QVC customers will love your product. And I looked at her and tears started streaming down my face. I think I freaked her out because she didn't know what I knew, which is like, I'm about a lot of business. Everyone has said no. And I think, I think I scared her and she's like, oh, sugar, sugar. I, I don't have any say over it. The product goes, like, like I just, she goes, but I want to let it's you know. Contract. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. She goes, but I want to let you know, I, I love your product. And I, I went up to our head buyer over there and I told her she needs to give you a chance. And I was like, thank you. Yeah, I, like, I freaked her out. So long story short, we got a meeting with, with the, the buying team. We got a yes. But here's what it meant. And and on and this part of the story, by the way, probably the, the biggest life lesson, business lesson I learned in the whole journey. We we got a yes. And what it meant was we got one shot to go on QVC Live in this 10-minute segment. And we either had to hit their sales goal 
or, or not come back. And here's the context, right? We're, we're doing, you know, two to three orders a day on our website. Yeah. I learned that to hit their sales goal in that 10 minute window, we have to sell over 6,000 units of our product over 6,000 units. And then I learned that the offer is a consignment offer. So what that meant was I wasn't going to get paid for the product yet. I had to figure out how to pay for manufacture, ship in over 6,000 units of our concealer. And then if it didn't sell, I would have to take it all back and and pay for it. Mm. Right. So normally you would never want to say yes to that. Like there's that saying in business, never accept a, a purchase order. You can't afford to lose and you cannot afford to lose it. But we also, at this point was, it was hundreds of no's and it was like, okay, well, we can do it this way and go bankrupt, or we're probably going to go out of business anyway. It was, it was that moment. So we decided to say yes. Then we had to figure out how to pay for the inventory. So it was over 20 banks said no for an SBA loan. This tiny bank in California gave us an SBA loan just for the amount to cover just that, the inventory for that one QVC purchase order. So everything was on the line is my point. And we met with third-party consultants. And this is where one of the biggest, I think, and most difficult decisions I've ever faced happened. We met with consultants that said to us, and they're, they're, they help so many people sell their product on QVC or in stores, and they help a lot of people, and they're amazing, and they give you the best advice they know. And, and you know, they said to me, okay, if you want a shot at doing well, here's what you need to do. You need to produce your, your segment this way and use this type of model, which was all flawless skin. I'm like, okay, but like, Here's my thought. I said, I go, what if I go on and I have real women? Like, like, what if I put a model in her 70s and all different shapes, ages, skin tones, and skin problems? I go, what if I take my makeup off and show my bright red rosacea? And they're mortified at this idea, right? And and they're saying, like, and we would we would argue about it because I'd say, like, here's the thing when we talk about intuition, my intuition said like, here's the thing. If I'm sitting at home watching someone show a product and I don't see someone that looks like me, how, how do I know it's going to work for me? Right. And I was like, this doesn't make sense that you have one age and one skin tone and one and flawless skin. This doesn't. And, but they were giving me the best advice they knew they wanted me to win. So I was in this spot, right? Like so many of us get in this spot in life where our our guts telling us one thing and then experts are telling us another. And I flew out to QVC a, a week before this, this one big shot. And I got this rental car. I knew the next time I walked through those doors, I was going to walk out either bankrupt yeah. or, you know, right. with my whole life changed. Um, totally. Like yeah, no in between. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I just thought like, okay. And there were, there were moments like, I know you can't fake authenticity. I know that. I know viewers are smart. I, I knew intuitively that the only way to, to succeed was to fully show up, you know, and with the authentic mission and, and why I was doing what I was doing. But oftentimes like we know the right thing to do, but it's also the hardest thing to do. And I had this moment in the car where I was like, you know, I kept imagining for whatever reason, a single mom in Nebraska folding laundry who was so busy that she forgot she mattered and forgot she was beautiful. And, and I was like, if she's going to bless me with three seconds of her precious time, I would rather have her turn on the television, see me showing real people that look like her and calling them beautiful and meaning it, even if she bought nothing. Like I'd rather do that than sell a crap load of product and stand for nothing. And so like I knew what I had to do, but, and I remember walking in the door of QVC and the, I remember walking in the studio. Oh, and by the way, I learned that you're not even guaranteed your 10 minutes. Like if I went live and all of a sudden it's not going well, and we're like a minute or two into the presentation, you might see your clock jump from eight minutes left down to one minute left like that. And I was like, and so it was so much pressure. And I, I had on double spanks. I sweat through the double spanks. I was in this dress I was a mess <laughs> because it was just, and, and the, I remember and they paired me, they paired me with the host who had come up to me that day at the show. And so thank God, because I was a mess. And I remember the camera went on and I was shaking, like I was trying to do 
demonstration on my wrist with them. Um, how uh-huh. with, like you're shaking. Uh-huh. Yeah. My whole wrist was like Scooby-Doo in the, when he sees a ghost and she like grabbed my hand and put, she's like, thank you, sugar. And she took over and um, they pulled my bare face. I'll never forget my bare face bright red before shot on national TV. And I, I remember going to the models. I didn't know how it was going, but I knew I wasn't cut yet. And I remember going to the models, like all ages and shapes and sizes and skin tones and, and skin challenges and, and calling them beautiful and meaning it. And we, we got down to the last, because remember by this point, there were amazing makeup artist brands that are phenomenal. And then there was a lot of other beauty brands, but no one was going on and just saying like, here's my skin challenges and they're beautiful. And I remember we had about a minute left in the the presentation. And I heard the host say like the tan shades almost gone, the deep shades almost sold out. And I was like freaking out. And then right at the 10 minute mark, this giant sold out sign came up across the screen. I start sobbing on national TV and then they cut cut from me and go to like Dyson vacuum or something. And my husband came run, running through the double doors of the QVC studios and I'm like sobbing and I'm like, real women have spoken. Oh, and he's like, we're not going bankrupt. And I was like, ah. and that, that one airing turned into five that year. Right. So this is that in between space of hundreds of no's to so that one airing turned into five that year and 101 the next year. And then we did over and still do over 250 live shows a year. And within, I think it was four years, we, we built the biggest beauty brand in QVC's history. And I only share that because it was years of them saying no, and not just no, but you're not the right fit. Yeah. But then to have such success in the exact same space, is so special. I mean, that is so incredible. That is such a great story. Oh, so then what? Like you're telling this great story. I'm just like listening. Like you're like I'm at story time. I'm like we eventually got a yes from from every single place that had said no. And some of them happened shortly after our QVC success. Others, like in the case of Sephora, took a total of six years of no's to eventually get a yes. And so then we kept we kept building and, and building. And you know, I had this whole dream of trying to shift the the definition of beauty in the beauty industry. And so I was like, we've got to go global. And so out of this this office that finally we finally got it made it out of our living room we were in a townhouse and then we made it out of there and got an actual office space and then we started growing and growing and we we grew to over a thousand employees and and started launching international so we like I couldn't believe my own success for a while and I thought at any moment it may come crashing down so I was working 100 hour weeks for years and I realized like I got to the point where I was addicted to work and we had tried to have kids for a decade and and I was having miscarriages and all of these things were going on where my husband and I realized like when he, when he would call me I thought it was a work call when I'd see his name on my phone like it it was to the point where work was our whole world and so part of I think learning to trust yourself is also learning when to not trust yourself. And we realized, right, that I I didn't trust myself to not keep working the way my parents did growing up, frankly. And then I I wanted to to try and change history for myself personally. And and so that was also part of the reason where I'm like, you know what, I think we need to sell the business or or partner with with someone. We thought about going public, but in that case, you're still running it as well. And it's kind of all on you. And when I had the, that realization, we started taking meetings with L'Oreal and, and then they weren't interested for a long time. It was three years of them saying no to a potential partnership. By the time they did want a partnership, so did a lot of other people. <laughs> and so it was this moment where all of a sudden L'Oreal wanted to buy the company and so did a lot of others. And so all of a sudden the price was so much higher than what it would have been. And it was kind of like the stars aligned and it was 2016, we decided to, to partner with them. And then I stayed on, they made me their first woman to hold a CEO title in their hundred plus year history of any brand. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, it was a, it was a, and it was kind of a real cool experience. And everyone there is like in couture head to toe and all the right handbags and all the right stuff. And I, in the early years, so in the three years they were saying no to us, I would feel like, should I wear cooler clothes to these meetings? But what I realized is because we stayed true to who we were, like I never started, like I was always just maybe odd Mm -hmm. compared to who I am, compared to their culture. But by year three of our meetings, part of why 
because we stayed authentic to who we were, because we didn't fit in, we were different than the 40 other brands they own. And so because of that, we created something so valuable. You know what I mean? And I think like, you know, you hear your authenticity is your superpower. And in this case, it was in, in every way, shape and form. Like, had we ever start changing who we were to listen to all the advice from the stores telling us no, or even some of the advice from L'Oreal over the years and the meetings that ended with no, if we had made those changes that didn't feel authentic to us, we probably never would have been purchased by them for, for that much. And we probably never would have built a company that lasted. Do you know what's so funny about that is you're telling that story. I have such a clear memory because when I was, let's see, honestly, I think I was 22. I might've been 23. I went for the very first time. I don't even know if you know what this is. It's, it's, it's kind of in a, in a bygone era, but there was this huge conference that traveled around a Christian conference called women of faith. I don't know if you ever heard of that or went to it, but it was like an arena tour and I'd never heard of it. And well, I'd never heard of it because I think that year was its first or second year, but anyway, it came to the town that I was in and I had, didn't know the teachers. All the speakers were older. They were all in their like sixties and seventies and funny and wild and irreverent. Like, I didn't know you were allowed to do that and be a Christian. I hadn't seen that version yet. And I didn't know that women could speak like that. I just never seen anything like it. I'd never seen women in kind of having agency over their own faith and gifts as communicators. That was just news to me. And so anyhow, I remember, so I went that first year to women of faith in an arena in Tulsa. And then two years later, I went to another one, another arena. And I remember sitting, I was like way up in the nosebleeds. I'm 24 maybe at that point. And I remember where I was sitting like to what angle I was facing the stage when I just had this very clear thought, like, I think that I am going to be on the stage with those women, which was an absurd thing to think and absolutely absurd. I mean, I was a teacher. I taught fourth grade. I had never even, I'd never been in adult work. I worked with 10 year olds and then inside marriage, I worked with students. And so at our church, I just didn't even know, I didn't even know women. Uh, anyhow, I, it was so clear and it persistent. I'm, it just hung on for years. And then, you know, eight years later, I surprisingly to myself even move into this space as a writer and as a communicator and then ultimately as a teacher and speaker. And so I'd seen them back in 1996. So in 2015, the organizers of the event got in touch with me and said, it's the farewell tour. It's the last year of women of faith. It had been like 20, it was 20 year run. And we would love for you to join the tour for its last leg of the race. And I just remember sitting there going, what in the world? I mean, I remember, remember that thought from 20 years earlier that didn't even make sense. It didn't even have a home. I didn't even have a board to Velcro it to. Like I didn't, I wasn't even in that world. I didn't even know about it. And so I love listening to your story and it's giving me such like nostalgia in my own heart for sometimes the ways that if we're still enough and quiet enough, if we'll listen and trust it, there's a knowing that we are given maybe 20 years before we need it, maybe 20 years before it's even going to ever come to fruition. And yet there it is. And thank you for including that part of your story. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for alluding to it over and over in this interview. Great stories are powerful, right? That's why I love this podcast. We get to hear people from all walks of life talking about their obstacles and their wins. And you know another place we get to do that? The Jen Hatmaker Book Club. And I want you to join today because if you love this podcast, you're going to love the book club. Here's the deal. Each month, we'll dive into a fantastic book and we read all kinds of stuff, fiction, memoirs, self-help, all of it. Every single book is something I have read and loved, and I just know you will too. After you sign up every month, I'll send you a box with the book and other fun treats 
Plus, your membership comes with a whole slew of perks. You get resources like reading plans, weekly summaries, discussion questions. Plus, you get tons of exclusive community stuff. You get access to our private Facebook group where you can connect with me and all your fellow members. And there's a monthly Facebook live chat session with me and sometimes some surprise guests. Sometimes I pop into the Zoom meetings of our local chapters, which is always delightful. Plus, we do some cool stuff with the book's author. They curate these awesome Spotify playlists just for us. Plus, I record a podcast with the author or another special guest, and we talk about the book. It is an incredible way to cap it all off. And you know what makes a book club great? The people. This community is the kindest, most supportive group you can possibly imagine. So sign up today at jenhatmakerbookclub.com. We are here waiting to welcome you into the sisterhood with open arms. So join us at jenhatmakerbookclub.com today. Okay, back to our show. I think this is what women are going to hear you say today more than anything else. It's going to catalog in their, in their minds. Like I have, a, I know something, you know, I know something. I have a sense of something. I have this little secret quiet thing that sounds so insane to say it out so loud. I haven't, but it's up here. And so it's so beautiful for me to see that happen for women, to see those those visions kind of come to life and, and then some, I mean, in more ways than we could have ever dreamed. What are you doing now? So you've, you'd L'Oreal bought your incredible company. You came on as a woman CEO and this was in 2017. Yeah. They bought it, yeah, they, um, bought it in 2016 and I stayed on for three years, three years. And okay. It was kind of wild. Cause I had just made it to this, this point where I, you know, if you were to be a movie, if, if it was a movie, it's the point where, you know, you walk in and everything is great and you're so cool and you're this darling in the beauty industry and in all the magazines and all, all the stuff. It would have been so fun and easy in a lot of ways and cool to be in that moment and just be that. But I also felt this feeling like, like that's not where I'm supposed to be. Like my work is done there. And I love the team and L'Oreal has is a well-oiled machine. So the whole mission is continuing and, and phenomenal and, and all those things. And I just had that feeling and I decided to, to trust it again. And so, so I left. So I'm kind of in that space of, of knowing, which I believe all of us have, have a calling and, and purpose in our lives. And I'm in that place of going, okay, God, I have, I have big, I have a big drive to serve and, and, and how can I do it in a way that's more of a joyful jog instead of a full out sprint That's good. <laughs> so that I don't repeat other mistakes. I want to, I want to be there for my children, but also for myself, for my, you know, friends. And so I'm kind of in that space right now of, of figuring all that out and just trying to go, okay, how do I serve and listening to the answer and, and also just learning to, to set boundaries and with myself mainly <laughs> on this journey. So I'm so proud of you for how hard you've worked and your vision that is really upstream in virtually every way for heading into an industry that has caused such harm and sadness and despair for so many women and doing it differently and doing it your way, even against professional advice for staying with it, for sticking with your vision, for sticking with your intuition all the way to today. I'm, we're all better for it. We're so proud of you. I'm so glad for this and thrilled to see what you do next and where you take that big sense of possibility and integrity married such a great combination and what you're going to put your hand to. And so well done. I'm just so cheering for you. And so I have one last question for you. And I ask all my guests this question on every show. So for right now, what is saving your life? Now it's faith, Jen. It really is. Right now it's faith. I believe God's got me. I believe he gives us beauty for ashes. I believe he works out all things to our good. I believe that even in, in hard times, 
even in times where I'm not sure <laughs> how to handle something. I'm not all those things. I, I believe that. And, and so right now it's my faith. Love it. Fantastic. Okay. Finally, can you just tell my community where they can find you, where they can find your incredible book, um, where they can follow you, all that stuff. I'm going to say jenhatmakerfanclub.com. <laughs> um, where can you find me? Okay, so I'm probably most often on Instagram at Jamie Kern Lima. And the book, Believe It, is everywhere books are sold. I wrote a whole, like a whole 95 page action plan that's free, believeit.com for anyone who wants that. And the book is also at believeit.com. But yeah, any, anywhere books are sold. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm super honored to just be here with you. And thank you as well for having me. Delighted to meet you. Thank you, Jamie. Have a good day. See you. Isn't she a great storyteller? Just loved listening to her walk us through that. Like when she's telling the story, I was, I was there. I was in that QVC studio with my hands shaking and the countdown clock. Like I could just envision it. Like that was wonderful. And I'm so pleased for her wild success. So pleased for her and thrilled that she is using it with such integrity. I mean, how wonderful, 100% of her proceeds from her book, turning right back outward to serve the world and serve the community. And so I will have, if you go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I will have this entire episode loaded up for you. All the show notes, all the links, all of Jamie's socials, the stuff to her book, everything. So you can go there if you'd like to find it all in one spot and be inspired toward your own script flipping business people, little dream havers, right? Why not you? Why not you? Golly, no, it's not the end of the story. It just isn't. It just isn't. Anyway, I can't wait to hear what you thought about this episode. Thanks for always engaging with us on socials when we post it. Thanks for sharing the episodes. Thank you for rating and reviewing the show. Absolutely. Thank you for subscribing. If you haven't already subscribed, please go do that obviously, because we love, this is a labor of love for us. This show, you, this community, our guests, just feel like we've hit the like jackpot here. I'm what a lucky girl. All right, you guys, way more to come in the Flipping the Script series. So many inspiring stories, so many incredible people. You're going to love it. Do not miss a single one. All right, guys, see you next week.